This episode of Wishers Breakaway is brought to you by you. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays to all those listeners out there that are listening right now. Good episode today. Have uh, Shana Goldman on. We talk a lot about the actual season that's happening January 13th. That's actually pretty close from now. Uh, Too much going on. So uh, stay tuned. Here's Mark Messier. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to the Bushers Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead of The Athletic, and I'm here with my co-host, Gregory, also of The Athletic, Greg Kaplan of The Athletic, or rather, Gregory, say hello. No, I'm just going to go by, uh, a, I'm going to be a one-name guy from now on. Are you? What's your, what's your first, your, you I'm just going to, I'm just going to be Gregory. I'm just going to be a really famous Brazilian soccer player where you only know me by one name, just like, uh, the legend Fred right. from my beloved Manchester United. Absolutely. Uh, I, because we are the number one Rangers show, I think it's important to start off with this. I checked the Premier League standings the other day. And Southampton's in third? Not anymore, sadly. Oh, okay. We uh, Sorry. We we had to play Man City this weekend and lost. And uh, Manchester United won. Everton won. I think we're sixth now. I will say um, it took me about it took me a couple seconds because I scrolled the bottom of the standings and I was like, "Where's Southampton? Yeah. My my squad." <laughs> yeah, no, we three. were very strange. There was a there was there was a glimmer of hope there. I think it was it was the Wednesday game where we played. I think it it was. I don't even remember at this point. Days blend together. Yeah, I, I want it was it was Arsenal. Had man, had Southampton beat Arsenal on Wednesday, we would have been top of the table. Number one well, for an hour. Still good, but to it see still would have been number one for an hour. The only premier team I've ever seen live, other than Arsenal, who they beat that fateful day, uh, doing well, weller than. Can they I just say do. for yes. a second here, the amount of times you give me shit about me starting a podcast on a rant mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with. I hockey. set you up there. <laughs> we have actual shit to talk about today, and you want to ask me? I'm happy you're asking me questions about Southampton. Don't get me wrong. We got plenty Denny to talk Ings about forever. I just figured but that goddamn, I, wanted, Ryan. I wanted to get this out of the way. I thought it was pretty interesting over the last couple of days. All right, no, now this our cold open. We finished that. Let's get to hockey. Uh, there's a lot going on, as you probably know if you're listening to this podcast. Yes, our numbers have been down, but welcome back if you're listening again because hockey, there's actual news. And, Greg, it seems like from now on at this point, this will be a sprint of a podcast almost until the end of next season if everything goes correctly and COVID doesn't ruin the current season coming up. Because this season will go till July. As soon as July happens, or rather June 29th happens, free agency will begin, and then everything will go to hell. Then by the time next October happens again, we'll have two months to figure out what exactly just happened in the last season for the Rangers and all of the NHL. The season will start up again, and we will be back to what we presume our normal, regular, regular scheduled NHL programming. So the marathon of this show and all NHL coverage really starts today. Uh, because the NHL has solidified a 56-game se- uh, season where you will play against only your division. The East, with the, which the Rangers are in, is hell. The Central is cupcakes. Canada should be fun. There's some teams in the Canadian division playing each other 10 times. Yes, 10 times. And, of course, the West, uh, also a division that we pay attention to, I guess. So there is going to be quite the run of, of coverage of hockey. And I have to say, after since March, what, 11th? We've had three Rangers games to cover. It is a very relief, a relieving moment for for at least me, Greg. 
It has been 84 years. 84. And I can still smell the paint. Uh, yeah, I, the divisions are fascinating. They truly are. Because the East is such just, it's, it's, just, it's just mean. Well, There's can, really no other word to describe can we start with this? We, mean. We talked about it a little bit on OT. People might be coming back and listening for the first time as I rub my eyes. Uh, this, I've had a couple people come, come at me and be like, you know what, it's not that much different than our division, the Metro, than it usually would be. Like, Carolina is out, uh, the Blue Jackets are out, and Buffalo and Boston are in. And I'd like to point out to everybody that says that it's not that different, that Boston is a different level than Carolina or yes. CBJ. It's, it is night and day. Boston is a cup contender. They have star pieces all over the team. Charlie McAvoy uh, was is ranked like one of the best defenders in the league. He's like their fifth best player. It's like unbelievable. They are legitimate. Them replacing Carolina, who they beat handily, by the way, in the playoffs. I know that there was an injury on Carolina's side that helped that happen. But Boston is the real deal. And you, the Rangers last year were 4-0 and against Carolina. Even though in the playoffs, yes, Carolina, uh, for lack of a better term, shit stomped the Rangers. I really, there's no better way to say that. They did. They were 4-0 in the regular season. Henrik Lundqvist, who, by the way, we have we have a lot to talk about with Hank in a second, uh, is is not on the Rangers, who has traditionally owned the Carolina Hurricanes. He is not there. Boston being the team that gets replaced in for Carolina, and then CBJ and Buffalo, that's equal standing in my in my book. I know Buffalo has been not good. Hashtag not good these last couple of years, but they are doing everything in their power to keep Jack Eichel away from the New York Rangers, of which they will have to do over the next two or three years. With Buffalo coming in, they still have a number one overall pick from three years ago in Darlene. They have Eichel. They have Taylor Hall. They have talent. They don't have goaltending, but they have talent. They're not easy. It's a totally different game now that you're in this East that you're going to play eight times. Every, you're playing everyone eight times. It's like a playoff series against every single squad. Yes, it's not in a row. There'll be multiple duo games, two or three games in a row against the same team. But it, in general, it's a whole different atmosphere. You're, the way you play, the style you play, the coaching you do has to all change. And it's, it's actually fascinating for the Ranger team that is in the middle of development to see how they're going to handle something like this this year. It's, it might be the best case scenario as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. It's, it's one of those moments where it's, it's not just the Metro normally is a hard division. The hurricanes and the blue jackets are very good teams, but they're also flawed and they're also beatable putting, I, I understand everything you're saying about Buffalo. I, I just can't, I can't take them seriously for whatever reason. It's, it's just this Buffalo stigma in my eyes where I see that name. It's like something – they're almost like the Mets of the NHL where something's just hilariously going to go wrong even though it shouldn't. But it does anyway because it's Buffalo. Um, I can't say that anymore though. Not anymore. Steve Cohen. But what, you, you, you called Boston a cup contender. And I actually think that Boston is on that last level with Tampa Bay where they're just firmly cup favorites. Like every year, there are just two teams you expect to win the Stanley Cup. And then there's a list of teams you think could win the Stanley Cup. And then there's a list of teams you would only consider playoff teams. Boston's firmly entrenched as a team I expect to win the Stanley Cup. That doesn't mean they will, but they're one of the two teams going into the season where if you were only given two options to win the Cup this year, you choose Boston, you choose Tampa Bay, and you hope it plays out in your favor. Putting them in, it's just... It's nasty. It, 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 it truly is. 
don't even look at this to make it even easier. I'm not even going to look at this from a New York Rangers perspective, right? I know we make fun of the Islanders. I know we uh, have a lot of fun at their expense. You look at this division, it is impossible to put the New York Islanders any higher than the fifth best team in this division. Just on paper. The Islanders, as good as they are on paper, they're not better than Boston. They're not better than Philly. They're not better than Washington. They're not better than Pittsburgh. And you have, if you're looking just as an objective observer, the Islanders are at least slightly better on paper than the New York Rangers. They're a more complete team. And I'm, the Islanders are that level of team like the Hurricanes and the Blue Jackets where you think on a nightly basis that the inferior team can beat the superior team. But we're talking about them, and they are the fifth best team in this division. It's just fucking brutal. It, it's, it's easier to digest as a Ranger fan because the Rangers are children. They're growing. This is not a year they were expected to compete, even if the Metro was totally normal. We were talking about this team as maybe, maybe an outside shot at capturing the eighth or seventh seed in a normal year. Like this, this, this shortened season is just a free roll of the dice for the Rangers. If something great happens, fantastic. It's not supposed to. And if something great doesn't happen, fantastic. They'll just add another great prospect to their ridiculous farm system. But this, it, 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 it we're past the point of us being negative about the New York, what the Rangers could or couldn't do. It's not even about talent at this point. It's just the fact that the Rangers got placed in the division with five teams that legitimately think they could win the East. No, and, and the if, Rangers aren't one of them. Yeah, and I said this earlier on, on the on the Twitters. But if you're in the Central, like the Rangers have a case for the fourth seed very easily. Like I I think they they firmly slot into that space. And yeah, they, because you you would think you would it's Tampa's division to lose. Yes, and it, if Tampa doesn't win that division, oh my god, I don't know what the can hell. Can the happen, NHL stop happened. helping Tampa? God damn it, it's so stupid. Uh, like let's put them in Central. Would, let's give them cap relief. There's Sarah. It's on. Oh my god, I can't. But you you would say you would say it's Tampa's division. You'd probably put Dallas ahead of the Rangers. Yeah, I think that's fair. But there there are scenarios where Carolina slips. There are scenarios where Columbus slips. There are scenarios where Nashville and Florida continue to struggle for reasons that we can't figure. The Rangers would have a legitimate chance at a top four spot in that division. I would be I, from where I sit as an partial observer, someone with Rangers blinders on nonstop. A guy who has to look at this roster almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or at least however many minutes aren't filled in when I'm looking up shit like how, what Joe McEwing's numbers were against Randy Johnson for reasons I don't even know. But still, <laughs> I will be stunned if the Rangers finish better than sixth. I think it, it's straight up stunned. And, and I, I'll be, I won't be upset. I don't want anyone to, to come away thinking like, oh, Greg's, Greg's rooting against the Rangers. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not. And I, I'm just, from where I sit, I don't know how the so many things, and we should say, fifty-six game season. Anything we saw happen. it with baseball this year, anything especially with COVID, dangling above everything that we do. Anything's possible. Say, heaven forbid. I'm not rooting for this, but it's also not an impossibility where Patrice Bergeron gets COVID, and Marshawn and Pasternak are immediate contacts, and all three of them have to isolate. For ten days at least. That's like that's four games. Going to yeah. that's going to be four games, and four games in a fifty-six game season is a big chunk. So sure, anything can fucking happen. 
but it would almost it almost has to be where nothing happens to the Rangers and everything happens to everyone else in their division. And oh, by the way, Keandre Miller from day one has to be a top four caliber <laughs> NHL defenseman. And oh, by the way, from day one, Alexi Lafreniere can't have the kind of foibles that Kabokako had last year. And oh, by the way, Kabokako has to play like the guy we thought the Rangers were getting as an 18 year old as a 19-year-old with one year under his belt. Oh, by the way, Mika and Panarin have to continue to produce at ungodly levels, and we call them ungodly because they are so hard to obtain those levels that it is unlikely that either one of them ever replicates that kind of production. But if they do, and if Igor is healthy, and if Igor <laughs> is, is as good point by as point, my boring, going to be. My boring and bland keys to the season, but yes, 100%. Yeah. It's true. But even, Ryan, even saying all those things, I still don't know if all those things happen. I still don't know if they're better than fourth. And, I really don't. And it's super important to say this, like incredibly important. People have called us negative before. We know. We know. This is yeah, not us being yeah. negative. I think it's an accomplishment to get through this season if you're the Rangers. It doesn't – I, you know – I, I, this season's about development for me, legitimately. Actually, legitimately. You have to take steps forward with all the young players this year because your division is too strong. I'm not setting the bar low for the Rangers. If they slip into the fourth spot, that's great. Honestly, it's not like you're looking for this top-of-the-line draft prospect uh, that, that like Lafreniere that we were very lucky to obtain for the second year in a row. Next year's draft is... Not what this year's draft was. It has a lot of good prospects, but there's no like top end like franchise changing guy. There just isn't. Uh, you can make a. I'm sure some people out there like Aturati or whatever his name is is like is that, but he's not. He's just not. So yeah, if, it, if you were to like even draft in like the the 12 to you know 20 range, like that's fine. To be a fourth to to be the fourth place team this year is going to be almost impossible for the Rangers. I'm very excited to see them try. They can do it. It's possible. The talent is there, but everything Greg just said has everything I've been talking about the past couple weeks is everything has to be right. You're and we didn't even mention Strobe and Tony who also had career years, by the way. Yeah. And who also it, now that hockey's back, we have to once again, talk about the scenario in which the Rangers are sellers at the deadline. And it seems like from everything we've been able to read that they would still very much like to move at least Strom, but it, it is an opportunity just hasn't presented itself. I just think context is important, right? With these divisions had, if the Rangers were in the central and they finished seventh or eighth, I think you would have to take a hard, I, even in these COVID times, you'd have to take a hard look. You have to make significant changes. Something would have to give because those would be, Teams you'd expect the Rangers to at least be competitive with. Maybe not beat on a nightly basis, but they shouldn't be losing to Detroit. They shouldn't be losing to Chicago. They should be competitive with Carolina. They should be competitive with Columbus. You go right on down the line. In this division, even if the Rangers are competitive with these guys, if they finish seventh or eighth, to me, that's just luck of the draw. I just, I don't know what else you would really expect the Rangers to do. The Rangers are going to play Buffalo, uh, Boston eight times. If the Rangers go seven and one, it's not because the Rangers are bad. It's because Boston's really fucking good. If they go six and two against Philly, it's not because the Rangers are bad. It's because Philly doesn't have a clear weakness besides their coach. If they go six and two against Pittsburgh, it's because Crosby and Malkin. If they go six and two against Washington, it's because that's a team, a veteran team with Ovechkin and a good defense. It's just like, who do you expect the Rangers to beat up on in this division? Maybe Buffalo, but they're not bad. Maybe New Jersey, 
but they're kind of in the same position the Rangers are. Maybe the Islanders, just because LOL Islanders, like possibly. But in order for the Rangers to be a playoff team, there have to be clear teams in this division for them to just beat up on. Well, I think it's and because of the division they're in, they don't that doesn't exist. Now that we know that this is what's going to be going down, I think it's really important to set our our not expectations, but what we define as a failure for the season. Uh, if they don't win a game, I, I honestly, I, with, with how the defense is lining up, I think it's unfair to expect the Rangers to be overly competitive. I, I think they're going to, the Rangers should score. I would say if the Rangers aren't scoring more than two and a half, three goals a game on a nightly basis, like if we, if we're on this podcast talking about how the Rangers are struggling to score and the power play is struggling all right, now we have some things we need to, we can ask questions about. But defensively, we're not expecting this team to be good, uh, which means it'll be really hard for us to judge anything that Igor and even Georgiev, or even our good friend Keith Kincaid, who might are play, doing in, in goal by the for way, the Rangers. Like often, because I know with Igor, it's a 56 game season, but if anybody gets hurt or injured, like Keith is now the backup, and you can carry as many goalies as you'd like. Well, you have to carry three. You have to. You can carry any number you want, but you have to carry three. So, congrats to Keith. He's on the Rangers all season long. Um, but it, with how the defense is shaping up, I, Adam Fox has created – To this isn't meant as a negative thing, but it's just Adam Fox was so successful that it's almost like he's created a bar that's unattainable for other young defensemen. Every young defenseman that now plays for the New York Rangers is going to be – judged on the Adam Fox scale. And that's that's both cruel and unusual. Not fair, because like, Adam Fox is unbelievable. And he yeah, has been Adam, since day Adam one. Fox should have should have won a Calder in a normal year. And now Keandre Miller is going to come in and try to back that up. And it's I almost think we need to like reset our minds and remember just how much Hayek struggled and judge Keandre Miller. It's on also that. fair to talk about Hayek the kayak and say that he was mostly paired with Mark Stahl the entire time he was here. Like that's no, not exactly you. You you have to remember he was with Truba at the beginning of last oh, season. Oh, that's true. They were top pair, weren't they? Well, they they were they were playing a heavy amount of minutes. But Hayek, I mean, Truba was struggling too in his own right. But you almost have to wonder if one was because of the other. But they started the season together. Shea was on a pairing with Adam Fox. God, I cannot believe and it was Brady Tony was and Mark Stahl. That feels like ages ago. <laughs> it's like nine years. I don't understand. It's it, Yeah, it is a good point to make. And I, I do think, and Miller will definitely be on the taxi squad. I'm not sure he'll make it right out. I've been more convinced. Uh, the taxi squad's going to be interesting, man. I actually I thought about this more. I posted it on Twitter what I thought the I Rangers saw. team could look like. And I, I have to correct myself a little bit because the taxi squad makes it so that on any given game night, the Rangers are only going to have 20 skaters. They're only going to have their 12 wingers. They're only going to have their six defensemen. They're only going to have their two goalies. With the taxi squad, there's just no point in healthy scratching anyone. Just you'll save cap space on a game night by doing that. So I, I had put DiGiuseppe and Smith as two guys that would be on the regular roster and then did a four to six man taxi squad. Mm-hmm. You have to put DiGiuseppe and Smith on the taxi squad. So really the taxi squad, quote unquote, is only two to four players. Got it. And if it's only two to four players, I... We don't I, know anything about I, the I, AHL yet, right? Like... Uh, they're February 5th and the Wolfpack, I think are only playing like within their division and in their division is only four teams. So it's, it's going to be very similar to what the NHL is doing. But if, 
I, I, I think the Rangers, I, at the, I'm at a point where I'm convinced Keandre Miller is on the Rangers opening night and in the lineup. I am too. I, I, I don't, I don't know nothing. I can't sit here and say something has happened. I can't sit here and say that I can we've tell you heard what information. It's, it's like just him posting on Instagram and living with Alexi, Alexi Lafreniere has been enough. Like that guy's going to have power. He's going to be, a, I think he's good enough in, from camp. Like Rick Carpinello came on this podcast and said for the playoffs, when they played Carolina, the Rangers wanted him, the Rangers wanted him in the lineup for the playoffs. Correct. If they could have done it, they would have, they would have had him in yeah. the playoffs. I, I think it, for me, it's a lot of just coming to terms with that. I, I we've seen if if David Quinn likes a guy, David Quinn gets him in his lineup. Um, It'll, that, I'm, so I'm at that point. Be. I'm also just at the point where I really don't want Jack Johnson with Jacob Truba. And though I'm, I'm we, as much as the Rangers like to float that idea out there, fucking prove it if you want to play a right-handed defenseman on his offhand. If if I actually believe the Rangers wanted to do that, I would think they would have signed a right-handed defenseman this summer, and they didn't. Anthony Potato plays on the left. Jack Johnson plays on the left. I think it's important. the three right-handed defensemen are the three right-handed defensemen. Tony's not moving to the left. It's just not happening. Potato, I, I know we had to, certain players had to hit a certain amount of games. I think the potato he has to play three games. Three games, yeah, which will happen. So he's right because he'll just they'll give Johnson some extended rest some days and let Potato play bottom pairing minutes with Tony. Correct. Absolutely. That, that'll just be what happens. Yeah. Um, but I. Yeah, the taxi squad, when you really think about it, is just two to four extra guys. Because Smith and DiGiuseppe, to me, are locks. There, there's no other way around that. So you're thinking one other defenseman, which to me is Hayek. I just... Maybe, might be Tarmo. Could be I don't Tarmo. know. I, I don't think... I think I think the Rangers... At some point, you either let Tarmo stay in it in Finland or you let Hayek stay in Finland, right? I don't think you bring both back for both of them to not play regularly because I, I, I almost think it makes more sense o- coming over for camp. He's already over here. Sure. That's great. But then you could just loan him back out. It, camp is going to be two weeks, right? We're, we're, we, we can't act like camp is this long six week period that it usually is every off. It's, it's basically 10 days of these guys skating and then they're going to be in a game. So I, I just think it, it's a big ask to have Quinn all of a sudden fall in love with a guy that, wasn't here for the playoffs, doesn't have a lot of experience with this coaching staff. Hayek has experience with the coaching staff. Hayek has experience with the AHL coaching staff, which I'm sure is included in all these meetings the Rangers are doing in the offseason. It just seems like 95 to 5% Hayek over Tarmo. Not saying Tarmo isn't good enough, not saying Tarmo isn't deserving. You just have to, at some point it becomes a numbers game. And it's, it's not me sitting here saying who I would think. It's me knowing this coaching staff as well as we do because we have to cover this team on a bi week on a twice a week basis. Yep. You you learn tendencies. You know what these guys are going to do. I, honestly, I, I think that's a good, a good point. Now that I even think about it, because Hayek might be the what you want to dangle out there for Seattle too. So you want to play him to show that he's worth picking. Theoretically, no, maybe not. Maybe not just play him. Again, we. How many times have people come on this podcast to say that we're crazy because? The Rangers use a guy to prop him up as Dude, something. Dude, they do it. Otherwise, I don't care what you say. They absolutely <laughs> do it. I, I'm right there with you, but I, we're conspiracy theorists. We have fucking no man. We watch this team like we. I ha- we're, we're in the top. I don't want to say we're one percenters or we're like elitists for Rangers, but like we we we. It's like our job, man. They they hundred percent prop up players to make them look good for trade bait. It's not a joke. Like the Nick Holden thing. 
even though I keep reading all these articles about him, Nick Holden's this awesome guy and everyone loves him in Vegas and he seems like a great guy and everything, they propped him up. They made him look better. Neil Pionk, same thing. Again, I read another awesome Neil Pionk uh, article from our friend Murat. Great. They propped him up. They made him look better. They. This is what they do. They bring the value out of players they acquire. Strom, Ryan Spooner, etc. It happens. They didn't, do, but they, they do mess it up sometimes. JT Miller, Nemestikov. Like there are situations, but they're a lot of the time it's they're propping up a lesser valued player to become trade bait, and I think they'll try and do that again with Hayek. Maybe I I I can't go that deep into it. I just. We know he has familiarity with Quinn, so therefore, it would be stunning to me if Hayek isn't one of those guys. But at the same time, we know it's going to be Potato's going to be one of the two defensemen on the taxi squad. If For Smith sure. is one, say say the number's four. I don't know if it's you can have as low as four and as many as six. Say the Rangers, who are kind of tight against the cap, decide to go with a four-man taxi squad. So that means Smith Potato. That means Di Giuseppe and probably Colin Blackwell. That's probably your taxi squad. If they go six, then you get interesting with Hayek. You get interesting with Barron, who I we're going to hear a lot about Morgan Barron this year. We're going to have fans clamoring for Morgan Barron to get those fourth-line minutes. Morgan Barron's going to become the new touch point on Rangers Twitter. Can't say I'm excited about it. I hope the kid is great. I just don't want to hear his name as much as I hear his name currently. He's, he's kind of like that... Uh, Man, you know what? How you felt about me ranting about Kevin the Kevin Smith trade with the Baltimore Orioles last year? Yes, that's ba- that's Morgan Barron. Like Morgan Barron's a guy we probably shouldn't get any kind of worked up about, but we're going to end up getting worked up about him because people just blabber about him all. But the time. but people probably blabber about him because of Brett Howden. Like that's it. I I, I I'm gonna man rocket. He can get it, etc. Legally speaking, um, it, I think it's time. I, I I'm gonna let the cage. I'm gonna let Howden out of the cage. Which no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I... We, Ryan, seriously, we have three weeks before training camp. We Fine. don't have to let him out now. Fine. Get, how did, hold on. We just go ahead and get back in. Get. Nope. Okay. He's back in. We're good. Uh, all right. What, I guess we should talk about Henrik Lundqvist, right? Should we transition a little bit topics here? E- yes. Okay. Well, Shana will be joining us. So uh, it's important to at least speak about the Henrik Lundqvist news. Diagnosed with some sort of, uh, I don't know the exact terminology, I am not a doctor, some sort of blood disease or heart condition, I believe it is, and uh, will not play with the Washington Capitals this year. Obviously, the, the Raiders were going to play Henrik Lundqvist uh, possibly up to eight times this year. It is a devastating story, a gut punch. It's something I never would want to wish on anybody, especially Hank. It, you know, if, if anybody was out there and looked up, what would this do to the Rangers' cap if he stayed a Ranger? I don't like you. Like this is just no, the you just you you just you're the worst kind of person. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's any other way to say it. There's there's no I, way. It's it, it's it's un it's we're not we're, trust us. We are not guys that lick boots and hold the flag for the New York Rangers. In fact, in fact, we probably have more New York Rangers on this podcast if we were. They specifically don't like us because we just. Or just two dudes? I was very angry about New York Rangers PR, especially the way they handled this and many other events. Um, it's it's just be a little modern and be a little courteous towards Henrik Lundqvist. I understand. Well, I, it's just ridiculous. Right. I, I, I want to get in on the PR part of it. But let's, just, let's handle Hank first. Just plainly, if you're a guy who wondered at any point that day out loud about had the New York Rangers kept Henrik Lundqvist, could they just bury his cap hit? Go fuck yourself. 
<laughs> I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to know you. You're just a you're you're legitimately a terrible human being. You do not deserve. It also to doesn't change anything. It doesn't Funk change breathes. anything the way we the, the, the no. way we discussed the earlier. If even if they had that money, it doesn't change anything about this season. Every every point we made at the top of this podcast, nothing changes. Nothing. All I, I, just straight fucking nothing. Nothing. You couldn't have seen it coming. You wouldn't have wanted to see it coming. It's clearly sudden. Henrik Lundqvist passed the physical with the Washington Capitals. He passed physicals all the time with the New York Rangers. He was allowed to enter the bubble in Canada, which involved a health screening there. So it's very clear that something happened between the time Henrik Lundqvist signed in Washington and now. We don't know if this is a condition that Henrik has had his entire life and he's just been able to manage it. We don't know if this is something that specifically with the more we now know about the coronavirus puts Henrik at increased risk if it's something he's had his entire life. We don't we don't know. It's impossible to speculate. It's unfair to speculate. All we know is the New York Rangers made a decision. Henrik Lundqvist was ready to resume his hockey career in a distant land. I had reached the point, I think you had reached the same point, of where you were actually kind of excited to see what the hell he was actually going to do Absolutely. with the Capitals. You know how much fun it would have been, even though it would have been heartbreaking at the same time? It would have been, been, been a punch in the face every time. It would have been, like, it, it been exactly like seeing Mike Piazza in a San But Diego, that's San why Diego I'm a Padres sports jersey. fan. I want to see those things. I, I love feeling pain. That's why I'm a Ranger fan. But it, it's just... Well, it's, it's not just that. It's just there are some players. There aren't many, but there are some players that transcend the jersey. Like, the very few. Anywhere, anywhere Piazza went, I would have wanted to see him play. Anywhere Henrik went, I would have wanted to see that dude play. We're not talking about, like, Kevin Hayes. Not, not saying I would have been like, yeah, whatever, if this happened to Kevin Hayes. It would have been just as crushing if someone at Kevin Hayes' professional level, this happened to them too. It's crushing when, it's crushing when a decision gets taken out of an athlete's hand, especially when they're in the twilight of their career. It's truly crushing, but it didn't matter where Henrik went. As long as it wasn't Philadelphia, I was going to root for the guy. And if it wasn't Philadelphia, I was going to get a mental evaluation for myself and Hank because clearly one of us likes pain on a level that is unhealthy. Right. Uh, I believe that's called BDSM. I'm not sure. I cannot confirm or deny. Anywho, if you were, if you at any point the day Henrik Lundqvist announced he couldn't play hockey – and you tweeted out or thought, man, wonder what would have happened to the Rangers cap situation had this played out differently. Just go fuck yourself. There's really <laughs> no other word for it. There's no other term for it. No. You're a bad person. I judge you. I think you're shit. It's that simple. I don't know how else more I can put it more plainly. No. It's, we're just being defensive of Henrik Lundqvist, as we should be. Uh, it it's is humanity. At some point, at some point, I understand that 2020 has tested us and pushed us to all our limits, but at some point, just be a fucking human being. This is one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League history. He's done it all except the one thing. And boy, did we ever want him to do the one thing. And boy, did he get close. If you're somehow now upset because your favorite team doesn't get a little extra money that they would have done nothing with except maybe give Jack Johnson two extra million dollars, the fuck is your problem? What are you doing? Why, why get out of bed if that's how you're going to feel? Why? It is. It is. I feel for Hank. I really do. I, I think he would be at the top shape. This, this isn't something that the doctors missed with the Rangers. It's not. This is a sudden situation. We can't speculate. We just can't. It sucks that Henrik likely 
well, we'll, we'll not play the season. May not play again. We will see what happens. Uh, how the how his medical treatments go this year, but I wish him nothing but the best, and that's how everyone should be in this case. I'm not here to yeah. tell you how to live, but in this situation, I will. Yeah. Uh, it, also, just remember this, this. This is like the Rick Nash conversation we had, and the David Wright conversation we had, where I think both of us just got to a point where we said, "I would really like it if this guy would be able to enjoy his kids' lives." Oh like, yeah. I just like that. That with Rick Nash, I, it got to a point where I was, I wasn't even concerned about what he was going to do for the Rangers or whatever team he went for. I just wanted him to be able to, when he was done playing hockey, not have anything to worry about. And I, I that's where I am with Henrik Lundqvist. This, this dude has meant a lot to me in my life as a sports fan. And this dude has earned the right to be a dad, be a husband, be active in his family's lives. I don't want this thing, whatever it is that he has impacting that forget about him playing or not playing for the Washington Capitals. Who cares at the end of the day? I want this guy to be able to walk his daughter down the aisle one day or go on a fifth honeymoon with his wife to some exotic land that I can only <laughs> dream of. Yeah. I just want this dude to live a normal life. For sure. It's, that That's it. That's all That's all you should want for Henrik Lundqvist. He owes you nothing. No, he owes the National Hockey League nothing. It's true. I'm a noted Rick Nash hater, and by the end of his career, uh, you know, I just wanted to be happy. Same thing with Henrik Lundqvist. I'm going to quickly address the uh, New York Ranger PR thing, just very quickly. A lot of people came at me as I, as I posted literally every other uh, Twitter, hockey Twitter, saying, you know, sorry, Hank, we love you. We're saying compliments to that, and New York Ranger stayed silent. I'm sure it's a Dolan thing. I'm positive it is. Like, it has to go up the chain, etc. But it just be a little modern. I understand that you can... This is what I what I don't get. People are like, they wanted to take the time to craft the perfect letter for Henrik Lundqvist. I'm sure they were in touch with him and, and, and behind the scenes. Like, don't you think they called him personally? Yes, I do think they called him personally. Yes, I do think they were crafting a letter. But you can have your cake and eat it too. You can be a modern PR firm. You can say something like, Henrik, we are so sorry. We love you. Immediately, within minutes. It doesn't have to be four hours later. This is constant with the New York Rangers uh, PR. And I know a lot of people don't care about this. But since I'm in the game and since I cover the team quote-unquote cover, I guess, whatever you want to call it at this point. It's frustrating to see, and this happens with the Knicks too, I'm sure, it's frustrating to see a team stay silent when something this big happens to their star player for hours at a time with nothing, when every other team is just doing their modern social media approach and it kills me. Is it a big deal? No. But I'm just frustrated with the process. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. That's exactly where I am. I think two things could be true at the exact same time. I think nobody should be looking to the New York Rangers social media accounts to be the bastion of the organization. No, it doesn't fucking matter what the team says. No, it does, like it, it's not official until the Rangers tweet it. That shit, I get it. It doesn't matter. If, you were, if someone was waiting on every minute, counting down the seconds until the Rangers released a statement, yeah, that it, ridiculous. At the same time, the New York Rangers social media team has done nothing to – deserve your benefit of the doubt either through the Keandre Miller situation through the black lives matter situation through this Henrik Lundqvist situation. They haven't earned the benefit of the doubt for you to say, Oh, maybe they're just busy or, Oh, there's other things going on. This is the same organization that threatened to sue two of our good friends because they were clipping videos and gifts from games only for then the Rangers to turn around and create Rangers on MSG Twitter account that is just ripped off gifts. It's the same team that said when a gif isn't enough and then themselves, that's all they do now. I, they don't, 
they haven't earned your bootlicking if you're out there defending them. It's, it's really not that hard. We know it's not that hard. There's a lot of work that goes into managing a social media account. I am not discrediting that. Some of the work these guys put in is incredible quality, and it takes a fuckload of time. But it is not that hard to put out a blanket, Hank, we love you. You'll always have our love. We want you to get better. We want you to be good. Do whatever makes you happy. It, it's that easy. It's not that hard. It's, it's the fact that the Rangers, for whatever reason, feel like they have to make it harder. I'm, I'm a guy, Ryan, 31 years what? old. Majority of my life. Congrats. I rooted for this team called the New York Mets. Run we did it. by absolute psychopaths. Total sociopaths. Just psychotic lunatics who fumbled every PR opportunity possible. Every single one, they screwed it up. But I don't know if you've heard. Over the last two months, a different guy has owned the team. And the Mets have owned the fucking city. There, there are legitimate sports getting ready to play, and the, the, the Giants and the Jets are still playing football. Nobody really – the Mets, if they do one thing, it's a bigger story than whatever the Jets and Giants do for various reasons. Because well, it's a bigger story good. for the Jets yesterday. Something's happened, but, you know. Sure, but classic Jets. It's just – guys, it's, it's not this it, – it really isn't this hard. It truly isn't. I had someone jump into our mentions when you tweeted it out being like, well, I'm sure it's a CBA thing that other teams – can't comment on other other teams' players. Not and it. it's just like the, the Kings said something. The Red Wings said something. The Devils did the, something. The All before the Rangers could just say, Batman. we're thinking and loving you. Bettman said like, something. <laughs> Bettman! Gary Batman. Bettman! Gary Bettman, who, yes. It just, it, it boggles, it, it's frustrating. This entire rant from both of us, should anyone care about what the Rangers do on social media? Fuck no. Who gives a shit? Nobody. At the end of the day, it, just, it doesn't fucking matter. I, yeah. We get that. That doesn't make it right either. Both those things can be true. Absolutely. Uh, we would do five-star questions right now, but we have a guest coming up. So if we don't get to them today, we will do a plethora of them next week. We'll do them. Why don't we do them with Shayna? All right. Sounds good. Let's go transition to Shayna. Transition. Hey, we're back with our first guest and only guest of the day. We have our good friend Shayna Goldman. She's of The Athletic. Shayna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I don't know why I did Tarzan there, but I'm doing okay. Uh, <laughs> here we are. Setting the tone, the energy, you're opening a first shift of the game and you're just coming in hot. I just need to get out there with my good friend JJ, be a big body and get to the boards, getting deep. Uh, you recently wrote an article on Jack Johnson. I believe the title was why Jack Johnson might not be so bad for the Rangers. And I believe the, the conclusion was it's bad. How'd I do? Well, it's <laughs> Well, I did not write the title. I'll, I'll, one thing, I did not write the title. I know how editing like, works, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, um, no, but like some people come up with good titles. I'll have like maybe two a year and mine are terrible. I think I wrote Analyzing Jack Johnson and I just gave it to my editor. Like, please fix this. Help. Just, I can't. Help me. Please, that's, it's, I can't do it. I'm terrible at titles. But yes, um, I felt like it was a very, very fitting title. Like, can, can this, can this be a, a good thing? Can can he be better? And uh, no. The answer is no. How often do you see? And I guess I'll get the right answer to this. Do you see Jack Johnson playing first line minutes at all this season? First pair yep. minutes at this season. Mm, I well, I think I think a lot of things have to go wrong for him to be playing that. Like I think in Pittsburgh he was third in ice time among defenders, and obviously. You know, he doesn't play on the power play, so that would limit his time as well. 
um, the Rangers' left side is so bad that there is that possibility for it. Because if, like, if they decide to keep Lindgren and Fox together, which a lot of us do think will happen, and it seems like from what the comments we've heard, they want to build on that. They work so well together, and they could be this pair long term. Why would you break it up? you really limit your options on what you can do. And I think Adam Fox is the one defender who could like rescue Jack Johnson, a la John Marino in Pittsburgh. Um, I don't think they want to do that to him. You know, you didn't even see stalled together much with Fox. And I feel like that's what you can kind of use. Like he didn't need this veteran defenseman who has all these years of experience next to him. He was just fucking good. It didn't matter. I think that that's going to be that same idea. So why why mess with something that works so you're left now with truba or d'angelo or smith if for some reason he's playing on the right and then someone else on the left which i don't see happening but um if brendan smith comes into camp playing horribly or liber hayek doesn't make it which i'm hesitant to think that he does based on um his nhl career to this point his hl career to this point and his current play in the Czech league like i don't see anything inspiring to make me say yes. But like, obviously we go into open-minded. Um, then you have Kandre Miller and that that's where everything gets a little bit weird because I wouldn't, if Kandre Miller makes the team, I don't see him playing with the though because you don't need two of those types of players together per se. And I think that they'll want to make sure he's with someone really good defensively because generally teams go, we need a veteran with the younger player and the offensive defenseman needs a defensive defenseman for balance and things like that. So if Kendra Miller makes the team, it, it adds this wrinkle into it with Jack Johnson that I think it almost guarantees that he's playing with D'Angelo because then you're going, you could put Miller with Fox because Fox is so good. I think that they could be this like all-star pair together or, and then you could go lingering Truba and give them all of the tough minutes. And I don't think you see Johnson even sniff at first pair minutes. He'll play obviously the penalty kill and even strength, but it's lingering who will be that shutdown defender on the first pair. If Miller doesn't make the team though, and you're going between Smith or Jack Johnson, I really don't know who plays those heavy minutes. Like, we did see the coaches finally put Smith on defense last year at the end of the year and playing with Truba, and they had moments of being pretty okay together. So if you can trust that pair, you can put Johnson on the third pair and not think twice. If you don't trust that pair, don't think Smith can play on the first pair, there's a chance he could play it. And if they go, well, he's a defensive defenseman, and we want shutdown minutes, and we want them to eat minutes, I mean, you have a problem, and then you, you're not getting that bounce back season from Truba like you wanted. And the fact that it's this, uh, it's Jacques Martin who knows Johnson's game and might rely on him because he trusts him, you might be looking at more minutes than you should. But I don't think he'll ever reach first pair territory in actual minutes. 2020 has been a tough year. So for mental health reasons, I'm just, tr- I've convinced myself that. It, it This seems like so long ago, and we briefly mentioned it before you joined us on the podcast today. Way back when, in yesteryear, there was a time where Hayek started the season with the Rangers, somewhat unexpectedly out of camp, and he was playing with Truba. So we know the Rangers at least have some comfortability with putting a child with Truba. Now, that pairing was abysmal. Uh, a lot of that was Hayek, but some of that was Truba as well. I, I've chosen to believe that Truba is going to be with Miller on opening night, just for my own sanity. Do you think, Shayna, with the with the taxi squads, the two to four extra players that are going to be tagging along with the Rangers this season, does that make it easier for the Rangers 
to ease Jack Johnson in and out of the lineup with the hectic schedule? Or do you think that's going to do the opposite and the Rangers are going to look at Johnson and say, this season's so chaotic, we need one constant. And we have this theory about what we think Jack Johnson is, and maybe he's that constant. Um, I think that their constant should be their best defenseman and their best defenseman hands down last season on both ends of the ice with Adam Fox. And yes, that is putting a lot of pressure on a second year player, but guess what? He fucking earned every ounce of it because he was so good. And it's not just that he was good. He was so poised and calm that he should be your constant. And if he struggles, then you change course. Or if Truba comes in playing better, he's your constant, but it does not need to be Jack Johnson. It should be, uh, someone that you want to be this foundational piece of your defense. And he is a stopgap at best. And I don't even know if you can call him that if he's not going to play, you know, all season long. And I know so many people look at it and go, oh, he's a seventh defenseman at best. There's reason to believe that he's not. There's reason to believe that a defenseman like that is going to come into the lineup and going to play. And we have that reason from seeing past years. You could look at a player like Adam McQuaid. He came in and he was playing heavy minutes with Brady Shea. He's a veteran defenseman. Yes, it was on a cheap contract, but guess what? They liked him enough and they trusted him. And so many coaches trust that, you know, that type of player, that archetype, even though they're so one dimensional. And if they're not good at what their one dimension is, they're not good at all. And you have a bigger issue here. But um, the taxi squad, it's, it's super interesting because the NHL is going to be playing before the AHL does. And that delayed start means that there's no reason not to be giving players like Miller or someone else that would be on the AHL squad games. The trick with it is, though, is that you only have seven games before you burn a year of the entry-level contract. And I think it's more—I think it's pretty likely we see that happen with Miller. But I can see that they want, might want to ease into it before deciding anything. You know, everything is so complicated. And if you can get, you know, a contract to slide or anything like that, obviously you want to. But I think a big, a big part here is you have these games where a player like Miller who has this upside who you should be investing your time in and if he's overwhelmed and if it doesn't look like he fits in the lineup you pull him that's it you know you don't need to force him into a role he's not ready for you care about his development you're a rebuilding team it's not about the right now it's about the big picture but it probably suits him more to be playing and even if they say play a game and he has a rough game they say watch and then you're going back to the next game just watch just watch the speed watch the pace watch the players to learn their tendencies I would understand that too but you have this opportunity here that you don't want to blow it. So a player like that should be getting first dibs unless he has some terrible training camp, which I just don't see happening. So as long as that he, as long as he's solid in training camp and they feel that, you know, he's ready, that's where you focus. And if you need Johnson's there and that's how it should be viewed. I don't know if it will be, but that's how it should be viewed. You have an option to rotate players in. And I think that's the biggest thing here. Could the Rangers make a run for it this year again? absolutely will they i mean who the fuck knows we didn't last year and they did at the end and it worked if that happens great but if not you know you just have to keep your mind on what else is going on and at the beginning of the year it has to be focusing on what their biggest weakness is and that's defense and if you go even more specifically it's the left defense or if you look at the big picture it's the defensive systems and overall how yes the forwards play defense but that is the most critical area that you need to address off the bat you have a new voice with the new coach. You have a couple new faces. Like you need to just keep figuring it out and plugging away while you have this chance before the AHL season starts. And then you figure it out from there. 
So I, I think we've kind of resigned ourselves to, th- to think that Miller will be on the opening night roster and that he will play. Are you sort of of that mindset too now that we've diagnosed as, as the doctors of the New York Rangers, as we are, the medical people, uh, that the left-handed defenseman is the absolute biggest issue on this team? Miller could be that solution. Are you of resolute mind to say he will be playing? Um, I think it's fair to say, yes, he'll be playing opening night. Um, if I, okay, if I'm coaching the Rangers and obviously I don't see what happens in training camp. I don't know if players come in out of shape. I don't know if someone steps up, but I probably go with, I would see how, let's say Lindgren and Fox stay together. Cause I think this is the most like logical thing is thinking Agreed. that they stay together and you're working around that. I do see what, you know, he can do with Truva, uh, with what Miller can do with Truva because He's a very different defenseman than pretty much anyone that Truba got to play with last year. He barely played with Shea. Um, he played with Smith, who is not anything like Miller. He he played with Hayek, who obviously isn't. He had minutes with Lindgren. I, I think it's really interesting. Granted, Truba looks good coming into tra- uh, camp as well. That you see how the two of them look together and see if someone of that playing style clicks with him. And then you could go with Brendan Smith on the third pair with D'Angelo. I think Smith right now has the spot, should have the spot over Johnson. I don't know if he will. Um, because when he plays defense, you know, he's much better on defense than he is as a forward, shockingly there. And if you look at where the season last left off, you know, he was fine with Trubo. Was it great? No. Did they have much time together? Did the team look good at all? Were there so many things going wrong? Sure. But I think it was fine enough that you could say, yeah, Smith could play in the lineup and just see how it goes before you start changing things. I'm of the mindset that Miller, as long as things are good in training camp, should get that shot. And that's like the biggest thing because like he could look overwhelmed automatically and it's like, fuck it. Because you don't have all these exhibition games to start plugging away and seeing. But I I say if he looks ready, why the hell not? I think it's a disservice not to. This this is, you brought up an interesting point that I want to highlight here because this is something I felt for the longest time. I think it's, incredibly clear that the New York Rangers don't value Brendan Smith at all. If the Rangers valued Brendan Smith one iota, I don't think Jack Johnson's a New York Ranger. Brendan Smith in theory should just be the, the stopgap guy, right? He should be the guy that you expect to get third pairing left-handed defenseman minutes. And you hope to God that something happens with your young kids where you don't have to play Brendan Smith at all. Then you sign an Anthony potato for depth behind him the Rangers are in a position defensively, in my opinion, where this year they should have let, even in a normal year, you just let Miller and Hayek play. And if they can't do it, then you use the Brendan Smiths, the Anthony Potettos. You go out and acquire someone of the Adam Clendenning ilk. Someone, it's one of those it could quadruple be, It literally could players. be Adam Clendenning. He's available. Yeah, you, you, I think he you, was signed, wasn't he signed by I think he's you still in go, Columbus. God damn it. Yeah. Think. You should go for like the Slater Cuckoos who weren't signed. You know, there yeah. were players like John Merrill and Ben Hutton. There were these low risk depth defenders, the Frederick Clasons that worked, but didn't, you know, no. I, and the best is though, if you advocate for them, then it's like, oh, wow. You think that they're, it's not that they're this amazing defenseman. It's they're the right defenseman for the role. And we're just looking for depth defenders. You know right. what I mean? Right. I, but that that's the, the most I understand a lot of us have gotten up in arms about talking about Jack Johnson because flatly he's bad. Like it, 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 it's hard to get beyond that point. It's hard to pick apart other parts of his game because points a through Z are that Jack Johnson just isn't good. Um, But the (laughs) thing that was most 
concerning and confusing to me about the signing is the Rangers, in theory, we keep hearing this from the Dan Rosens, the Larry Brookses, these national writers who say the Rangers brought Jack Johnson in to be a, a veteran presence that floats in and out of the lineup. And I just, I don't understand what Brendan Smith does then. Because if that's right. not Brendan Smith, what the fuck is Brendan Smith? Do they I, actually think he's a, their fourth line winger? Like it's, you had the guy, <laughs> you're paying him money for one more year. He's here. He's clearly a positive influence on this locker room because there were 27 stories about his relationship with Capo Caco last year. So we know this guy has some sway in the locker room, regardless of how well you think he plays on the ice. And we have the numbers to suggest that when he's utilized in a correct role, he's not actively bad. He's not he necessarily good. good. He could be. He, has he could be, but he's good. not actively yeah. bad. I love Brendan Smith. And right. yet the Rangers said, even with this guy here, we don't think he can do this. So we're bringing in Jack Johnson. So I, 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 I respect why you're saying it. I understand why you're saying it. I get that's what yeah. the numbers are saying. I think it's illogical and impossible to envision a scenario where Brendan Smith is playing over Jack Johnson. Well, that's that's the issue right there. What I would do as coach is not what you know is not what's going to happen. And I think the biggest thing here is as much as we heard everything about Jack Johnson's character, and as much as everything else, they also said things like we watched the video and we saw him on the penalty goal. Let me tell you. I watched the fucking video. I spent a week watching the video. I went through so much goddamn video. It was funny. My Jack Johnson story was going to be a video breakdown. And I chose not to do it because I wanted to save that for when he actually plays with the Rangers. I don't want to. I don't want to be. You didn't want to be that mean up front. It wasn't even that. I was like, you know what? Let me look at his game by the numbers and go by this approach. And then if he's, you know, if he struggles or even if he's good, it would be interesting to compare and contrast what his game is with the Rangers. I could say I watched this video and I don't see the things on the penalty kill that he did well. I see things like him backing up into the zone, leaving a huge gap and really allowing the opponent to walk in, which we know the Rangers do systematically. This is a problem right here. He doesn't have the foot speed to catch up. If you can't adapt your game, and this is why, like, this is my red flag about Martin then, and I'm not going to come out and start shitting on Matt, uh, Matt Martin. Oh, my God. Uh, Jacques Martin off the bat. Um, my concern is, though, there wasn't an adjustment made. If you see this continuously being a problem, saying, you know what? You need to adapt your positioning. You need to come up closer. You need to not let someone get that far past you because you can't catch them. If you can't mix your system with the players' actual attributes and what they can do and figure out that happy medium, there's a problem. And I'm not saying he can't do that. I'm just saying he didn't with Jack Johnson. And he was continuously deployed, and he played these heavy minutes on the penalty kill. I struggled to see what he did on the penalty kill to make the Penguins better. He blocked shots. That's great. But also, a player who couldn't catch up with a player will fling their body in front of the puck if they can to block a shot. And if they're not very fast, they're not getting up very quickly either. You're taking yourself out of position so often to get down and block that shot that now, what other shots just followed? Did you close off the passing lane? Did you go for the right shot? Like, are you blocking at the right time? There's so many times that a block happens, and that'll be credited as something that makes this player so much better when it doesn't necessarily do it. It's great and wonderful to tally block shots, but there needs to be more context to it. It's the same thing as a hit. Was the hit just a hit? Did the player um, 
Did you get the puck from the player? Did did you pressure them in some way that you forced a turnover? Or did you just hit someone and now you're 10 steps back in the play, they have the puck, they're skating the other direction, and you're the only one looking like an idiot all the way back because you went for the hit and you didn't focus on what you should be. Like, there's so much more context to these stats. You can't look at Jack Johnson and go, well, he hits and blocks shots because I'm watching the tape and I'm going, I see him hitting and blocking shots. I'm not necessarily saying it's the right play, and I don't see anything that's inspiring me to say, yeah, that makes him a good defenseman, because I could tell you there's a player like, I don't know, Jacob Slavin, who maybe isn't blocking for any shots and doesn't play as physical as a style, and he's one of the best shutdown defensemen in the league. Like, it just doesn't line up. So the fact that they're crediting his game is what really gives me concern, because, and I don't expect them to shred the guy of the media and say that, but just don't say anything at all. Like, you know, he could be on our penalty kill and he plays heavy minutes don't say we watched the tape and saw that what we like because then i go well now i'm questioning how you evaluate defensemen which i've been doing for years and now it's that much worse it's 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 like these guys see the term he's an extension of the coaching staff as a slight against the player like that that does have value <laughs> and it does have a role like when the i look it's what i do go when ahead the mets signed 2700 year old julio franco in 2006 Nobody on the Mets was like, we expect them to be their everyday third baseman. No, you hired Julio Franco because he gets a good hit every now and then, and he's old as shit, and he can teach the young <laughs> kids. Like, why? what's so wrong with being that guy if you're Jack Johnson? It, there really there really is nothing. And, you know, everyone will go, well, why didn't you keep Mark Stahl? And it's like, there, there's a reason, and it's that contract. And if there wasn't a flat cap and there wasn't $13 million in dead space, this probably wouldn't be a discussion. You wouldn't be attaching a second rounder to a player just to get rid of their cap. You'd have him. And yes, people would still be complaining about how much Mark Stahl plays, but I think all of us can confidently say we understand what he brings to the locker room and how important he is to the franchise. Like we can all say that without question. Um, with Jack Johnson, it's, it's, it's interesting too. You're bringing in this veteran player for that role when you have a Brendan Smith, when, you know, up front, you have Kreider, and you do have Zabanajad. You do. You have this new leadership group. Like, our, I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's you gave, not you gave Jacob Chuba. You don't give a guy an eight-year deal like Jacob Chuba unless you think he can be a team leader. And at some right. point, you have to challenge him to be a team leader. You can't keep bringing guys in to be a crutch for him. And right. I, what what better year exists than this piece of shit season that we're about to have? Right. If you said the first, you know, if, if Jacob Trudeau came into the lineup last year and they were like, we don't want all of that pressure on him off the bat. He signed this huge contract. We can know what happens to, you know, these big name defensemen that signed with us. We understand it. We're not putting that pressure on him right now. We have Mark Stahl there. It alleviates that. This year, that conversation's not the same. The onus is on Truba to be better. And you can talk about usage up, down, sideways. And I will. I have a story on this coming soon. It was not all on him. But it was also on him. You need to challenge him. You just rewarded him all of this money in term. You need him to step up and not just on the ice, but in the locker room. He is a pivotal part of this team. If he's gone, I think during the play, and he was like a player in my mind who was one of the most important. If he was going, I thought the whole defense would rally around him. And he had moments where he did look really good. That it's like, okay, there, there's that potential, that potential that everyone was hoping for all year. It didn't work out. But like you said, this is the year to challenge him. I just don't know if you're saying we, we don't we don't think he has that or we think we need so much more than that. Like, I don't know. At a certain point, yes, character is important, but we've just seen it so many times with this team. Yes, it's totally important. Totally not, you know, saying it's not, but 
skill. Skill is of the utmost importance, and that's what you're missing. That's what you need on that left side. So what are we doing here? You talked about challenging, especially with Truba there. And that's sort of my point about this whole season in general. You know, you could say whatever you want about this season, but it will be a challenge. 56 games, eight games against some of the toughest teams in all of hockey. Do you sort of see, the way I see this season is, this is the perfect setup. I think this is a great situation for the New York Rangers, despite this division being literally hell on earth, and probably your your chances of making the playoffs are pretty low. But if you had to pick a situation for the Rangers to be in, this is it. You're going to play high-level competition all year. You're going to play playoff-style hockey. You're going to have more rest in between games. You're going to have great opponents that you need to play up against every single week. Do you do you think that is actually a good thing for the Rangers? Because for me, I think if you want to play out, play it to the level of being a, a sort of a cup contender, a perennial cup contender, there's no better test than having to play Boston and other teams eight times this year. Or, or Shana, to add on to that for Ryan, do you see this year as a free free roll of the dice for the Rangers? Because there's going to be literally even the most optimistic Ranger fan can't look at this division and say this is the Rangers' division to win which means yeah. they have no expectations, which means they can do whatever the fuck they want. And in some cases, when you're a young team, that's a great situation to be in. Yeah. But, no, um, I think last year was that, you know, the Metropolitan Division was so close and the Rangers really had their shot and, like, they were rewarded for it. They they made the play around. Like, sure, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs, but they made their push for it. And they it was a challenge for them to get hot when they did and maintain it most of all which they did that put them in the conversation obviously they were like missteps along the way but by all accounts you can look at last year and be impressed at what they managed um and they had that experience in the postseason so yes it was different yes it was three games but they had something you know this year it's different you want to take the next step forward and you could look at it and compare to a team like Chicago everyone's like oh the Blackhawks of course are in the easiest division like Sure, they have an easier path to the postseason. Is it going to benefit them to, if they can skate their way in and get blown out? Like, I, I don't know. I, I personally don't think that's where this team's at. I don't think the Rangers need any handouts. They've gotten incredibly lucky in their rebuild. They got Panarin because he wanted to be a Ranger. Truva was willing to sign because he, too, liked the idea of being a Ranger. They got Kako. They got Lafayette. They got so lucky and they've fallen into things that they don't deserve. And when they've had the chance to make these decisions to get better, we question what they're doing in so many ways. And it's not to knock every single move that they did, but it really is true for a lot of things with this rebuild. So at this point, they don't need luck. They need to earn it. They need to prove themselves. They need to challenge themselves. It is going to suck for them to be in this division. It sucks that if they thought this would be the year that they really took a step forward, but, like, they still can. It's There's so much more to the year than just what their record's going to show at the end of the year. It's about progression and learning more about this team and understanding what needs to be done to take them that hopefully that big jump the following year, which should be the year that really is, like, the start. I, I, don't, even, I don't even know if it's fair to say the start of their window, but it should be where they start becoming that playoff team. Not necessarily that contender, but they're that playoff team that, you you know, you really think that they're going to make it. Um, so the best thing for them is to just get their asses kicked and then fight back and show that they can do it. And that's something that I feel like a coach like David Quinn wants his team to learn. You look at everything that he has done, the resilience. 
You know, that's, I think, the biggest thing he's taught the team is how to be resilient and how to keep stepping up, even when the challenges seem way too big for them, which so many of those games did, you know, and that stretch at the end of the year, and they managed. So this is it. This is a huge year for them in so many different ways because they're in such a challenging division. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It shouldn't be. And they probably won't have the ending that they want no matter what because it's just too tough of the division. But if they can be a top team to play against every night, even if they come out with all these losses, if they are this top team and you see them rolling on all cylinders with their offense and really growing in a way that they need to, and the defense becoming much more stable, and then you see growth from in net because it's a very different year. You have Igor Chesterkin. This is the first time in over a decade you don't have Henrik Lundqvist. There's so many different ways that this team needs to grow. This is the year to do it and show it. Even if you're, you know, your win losses aren't what you want at the end of the year, it's about everything below that number that should be encouraging and should teach them a lot for a year that should be even more important, you know, in 2021-22. My last question, Shana, comes with the uh, – I don't know what just happened. I got some feedback there. That was weird. Um, what My last question is with David Quinn. I really like David Quinn and what he's done these past couple of years with the Rangers. I think he's a great personality as, for a coach. I think he gets – I think – I can't deny it that Quinn Ben has worked in the past – what do you expect him to change on the X and O side of things this year, if anything? Or if he has any control of that? Well, how do you see Quinn sort of adapting himself to this 56-game season? So, I don't think Quinn is the most, like, X's and O's coach. He wasn't in Boston. He wasn't with the Rangers. Like, he really does lean on his assistance, which isn't a bad thing. Um, and so, the biggest thing is going to be figuring out how to fix the defense. And they seem to adapt as the year went on last year for the first time in years where they really learned what was going on and tried to tweak it. You know, you don't have to make these massive changes necessarily, but if you can just continuously tweak it to figure out how to slowly fix it and slowly progress, it works. And that's what they were doing last year. Um, I think that's going to be super important from like the X's and other side. But I think communicating with the players and really learning a little bit more about them, like, when Castle came in, they knew they had this super talented player, but they did struggle figuring out how best to reach out to him and how best to help him progress. And they were trying different things, and I think the willingness to try was good, but it's just learning more about how to get to each player because every player is different. You know, the Quimbin might work on some, it might not on others. And I just think that there's different ways to figure it out, and they have more young players coming in, and their development is even more important now. So it's balancing that while obviously working on the X's and O's and hopefully that's something the assistants learn from, you know, Greg Brown is still there. And, um, Oh my God, I feel like I haven't talked about the Rangers in a century. You probably haven't. Why am I... I haven't. Creator of behind the um, benches, Shana Golden. <laughs> you know, you still... Greg Brown was, uh, like he was essentially their eye in the sky. He wasn't quite an eye in the sky. He came down for the third period, but, um, he's still there. You know, and now you're going to have Martin coming in instead of Ross. And it's still the head coach's system. Like, at the bottom line, it's still the head, you know, it's still the head right. coach's system. And the, the assistant coach's job is to execute, help execute what the head coach wants. But I feel like Quinn would be someone who would be receptive to what the assistants have to say, especially an experienced assistant or someone who was with Pittsburgh, a team that people look to, even in years that they aren't that good, they look to them because, you know, it's Pittsburgh. They're, they, it carries weight because of what they've done in the last, you know, 10 years. Um, they they definitely 
have a lot to learn the coaches and a lot of ways to learn to adapt systematically and obviously in the communication department, which is something we all know is like such a selling point for Quinn. If the Rangers don't have a good year, I don't think it necessarily means, well, Quinn is a bad coach. It's all about how they progress. And it's, it's looking at like numerous levels of how they progress because at a certain point, they are going to have to look at themselves and look at their coaching staff and go, is this the right coaching staff for the next step of this process, which is, you know, really competing. And if this was a full season, I would say it's a little bit more make or break. It's such a short season. It's such a weird year that it's a little bit harder to say that. And I feel like everyone gets a little bit more rope, even when they can't afford to have some in different ways. You know, like you want the Rangers to stay on that timeline as much as possible when you think of like everything with the contracts and benefiting from players being on the entry level contracts and everything like that. So it's it's really tough now that it's 56 games. But I think that there's still going to be a lot of ways that we can like evaluate and assess how he's doing with this team, whether he's going to be the right coach long-term, whether the full bench is the right, you know, set up long-term as well. Which, I mean, I feel like that sounds really harsh. Like, I don't need to come in talking shit about the coaching staff. Like, there'll be enough of that as the year goes on, I'm sure. But um, there's there's definitely, like, a, a lot of ways that the coaches can improve. And I'm really curious how it starts with, like I've said a hundred times tonight, with the defense. Because that's obviously the biggest problem. And I, I am curious if a coaching change there makes a major difference at all. And I, I think... If it does, it might show you just how influential the assistant coaches are on the systematic side of the game because we like we knew going into it that wasn't exactly I don't want to say Quinn's strength, but it was something that like obviously assistants like pulled their weight on. So I'm super curious because I feel like this is going to be a good year to see it. I just last point for me. It's worth pointing out. I'm not saying Larry Brooks is right 100 percent of the time. I'm saying he's wrong enough where you take it with a grain of salt, but he's also right enough that you have to take it with some weight when he says it. He posted this article not even 10 minutes ago. His third point in the article starts, and I quote, it would be a surprise, make that significant disappointment if Lieber Hayek is unable to nail down a spot in the top six. Kind of just like, I I hope he does, because I hope it's on the third line with Tony D'Angelo. I just... I don't want I, – I, I mean, I guess – look, if the Rangers want to – if they want to – if they want to stink defensively, at least stink with a kid, right? And we've seen so, enough of Lieber Hayek to question whether he can hack it in the top six in the National Hockey League. But at least, he's still just 22, and I think we forget that all the time. I'd much rather Lieber Hayek play with Jacob Truba and struggle than Jack Johnson play with Jacob Truba and play as we expect Jack Johnson to play. At the same time – Maybe I'm just maybe maybe it's just me being too optimistic and I've already talked myself into something that isn't probably going to happen anyway. But man, it just it just makes so much more sense in my mind to go with Keandre Miller with Truba. It really does. I think with Hayek though, it all stems from the fact it was there was that one tweet, you know, that he was the game breaking part of this trade. It was Hayek, and I think it put unrealistic expectations on him. But um and then you look at like the return return as a whole and you'd be like underwhelmed. But I feel like just that idea about him, it it's like everybody it's it's like you're trying to make fetch happen and fetch just can't happen. You know? And I'm not saying that there's no shot for him. Like you said, he's twenty two, he's young. I just think that that 
idea that he was like this great defenseman. He was going to be such an important player for the Rangers has pushed him into a conversation that maybe he doesn't belong in. You know, I think so many other defensemen at this point, we wouldn't even be trying to make it happen. If it happened to happen, we'd be like, oh, this is fantastic. Look at how this player has developed. Or look at the progress he's made and the strides he's taken that we didn't expect him to. Like a Ryan Lindgren. You know, so many people didn't think Ryan Lindgren would be able to become this mainstay because he was a one-dimensional player that played an old-school style but didn't seem to want to adapt. And he did. He did it, you know, with training in Hartford. He did it on his own by making individual improvements. And now we're talking about him as this roster mainstay going, you know, he's the best defenseman you have on the left side right now. Like, that's huge progress. And and we came into Ryan Lindgren looking at him going, oh, it makes sense why the Rangers acquired him, but, you know, you really need to update your thinking and be a little bit more innovative with how you assess defensemen. And things changed. With Hayek, we still, I feel like in the back of our minds are going, well, he was a huge, you know, player to come back. For Ryan McDonough leaving, and now it's all these expectations on him that just haven't happened and it hasn't materialized, but everybody wants to give him a shot because he was a part of that trade. And I just feel like that is just screwing with the, you know, the assessment of him because there's conversations he's been in that he has no business being in until he proves it. And to this point, he hasn't. You know what I mean? He would just be like, oh, yeah, if anyone can make it in training camp, but now we're going, oh, hi. There's, you know what I mean? Like, there's just such a difference to it that I don't think should necessarily be there. If he can make it and he can take those improvements, great. I think that's wonderful. But I I just feel like there's too much attention put on him to do it because he was a part of this like massive trade and such a key piece in it when maybe that obviously doesn't match up with what we've seen since. I truly wonder how different the narrative around this team and the narrative around that deadline would be if you just flipped. If you just said Ryan McDonough was traded for the draft that essentially a draft pick that became Keandre Miller and Ryan Lindgren, whereas Rick Nash was traded for Brett Howden, and Lieber Hayek and the draft pick that became Niels Lundqvist. Just I wonder if people remember that those deadline deals differently, because just with the benefit of hindsight, if you said you traded McDonough, you turned it into essentially Miller and Lindgren, take that home to the bank every day of the week. But it, it's just, and then you add in the fact that JT Miller was involved in the deal and, People get so butthurt about that as well. It's just, I don't know. At some point, really good organizations admit when they make a mistake. And I think that's that's what separates really good teams from really bad ones in my mind. Shana, thank you so much for joining us on this lovely night. We'll be having you back uh, probably sometime before the season starts as we do a full season breakdown. Anything you'd like to plug before you get out of here? My Jack Johnson story on The Athletic and... Um, keep your eyes peeled because I believe it's next week I'll have something on Truba all about what went wrong in the first year for him and kind of like what to expect moving forward and what's needed from him. And outside of that, uh, I sew a lot of masks. That's basically become my full-time job. So you can check my Twitter for a thousand postings of masks and um, hats and SMOS and all that kind of crap. So, you know, support small businesses and buy things from there. Awesome. We'll also be leaving. You can follow me on Twitter at Orion Mead. You can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break, and we'll be back next. We'll be back with OT later this week where we might review the mock draft from The Athletic. Who knows? Love you guys. Bye.
Explore Beyond the Stratosphere in Museum of the Bible's compelling exhibition, Scripture and Science, Our Universe, Ourselves, Our Place, in Washington, D.C., open now through January 15th, featuring artifacts from trailblazers in history like Isaac Newton, Nicholas Copernicus, and hidden figures like Dorothy Vaughn. This exhibit guides you through groundbreaking discoveries and thought-provoking questions. Come and see how Scripture and Science have shaped our world. Get your tickets today at museumofthebible.org.